Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So look at hi. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Great. Uh, my name is Matthew. I've just come down from our other congregation at Alder Road. If you're new here, we have two, we're one church meeting in two locations. So we've got a congregation up in Alder Road and down here at Ashley Road as well. So often when I'm speaking, I'll speak at, at both. So just been up there. Uh, speaking this morning about the question of identity, and I think God really wants to do some things to people's hearts today around the, around the area of identity. Uh, uh, Alder Road, I wasn't quite sure people were quite with me. It might be that everybody, nobody at Alder Road has any identity issues, although I struggle to believe that. So, so, so work with me this morning, okay? So you're, you can, you're free to uh, kind of mm and ah and amen and yes, or even no. If you disagree, disagree with me as I'm speaking, that's fine, I don't mind. Right, we are in the book of Acts. Let me just bring you up to speed with where we are for those of you who haven't been around the last few weeks or even the last year as we began our series in Acts a year ago. Uh, we are looking in the book of Acts, which tells, it's the book of the New Testament of the Bible, which tells a 30-year history of how the church began and then how it expanded out from Jerusalem around the Roman world and over the last few weeks, we've been particularly focusing on the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who is traveling around the Aegean region, and he is planting and strengthening churches over a number of years in that Aegean region, in terms of what we'd now think of as kind of Turkey and the Greek islands and, and mainland Greece. And then we get to Acts chapter 20, and suddenly Paul feels compelled by God to go to Jerusalem. And it's not exactly clear why at first, and Paul says that he's going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to him. And then we get to the part of the story we're going to be in today at the end of Acts chapter 21. And Paul is in Jerusalem, and he's gone to the temple, and he's worshiping in the temple, and he's spotted by some people who recognize him, and they say, this man is, is overthrowing what we believe, and they form a mob, and they start a riot, and then Roman soldiers swoop in to stop the riot, and the soldiers arrest Paul and carry him off, and that's where we've got to. We're on page 1119 in these Bibles, end of Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, we'll pick the story up at verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. The uh, commander who arrests Paul begins with this question, who are you? And the reason he asks that question is because Paul is provoking a reaction which most people don't. Most people don't go along to the temple and then create a riot, but a riot has formed around Paul. So who are you? And Paul says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. And the Roman commander says, you speak Greek? I thought you're the Egyptian terrorist. And we'll look into that a little bit more, what that was all about. But the commander has some preconceived ideas about Paul. This person is causing a riot. That must mean he's some kind of troublemaker, some kind of terrorist perhaps. But Paul is clear about who he is. He's a strong sense of his identity. And today's story is all about this sense of who you are, your identity. And in this story, we're going to see where Paul is from, who he was, what he's become, and what that means for him and for 
the rest of us. And this question of our identity is hugely important to us as human beings. Who are you? It's a question the commander asks of Paul, but it's a question that we can ask of ourselves. It's a question that people ask when they meet. Who are you? What's your story? We normally frame that in terms of what do you do and where are you from? That's normally where we begin with our question of working out who somebody is. Who are you? And in our day and age, there's a lot of uh, talk about identity politics, that we seem to be increasingly factionalized in our culture. I identify with this particular belief, this particular political position, this particular sexual identity, whatever it might be, and we kind of get locked into identity politics. There also seems to be an awful lot of identity confusion, people not really sure where they fit, where they belong. Part of that's just because life seems to be much less certain than it used to be. A few centuries ago, we didn't have the choices that we now have. You were born in one village, and you lived, and you died in that village, and you did the thing that your mum and dad had did, and there were no choices. You just kind of existed. You were born, you died, that was it. Thank God we don't live in a culture like this anymore. We have a lot more options. We have choices. Uh, but that can in itself be overwhelming, that we can feel a sort of options paralysis. There are so many things that we could do, and people say things to us like, you can be anything that you want to be, which of course is rubbish anyway, but somebody says that, and it's almost like a curse. You can do anything you want to do, you can be anything you want to be, and it's a bit, wow, that's amazing, but actually it become, can be really oppressive. What do I do then? There's so many things I could do, so many things I could choose to follow, and I'm sure we've also, also, all of us have experienced that sensation of being in a place where we're really not sure that we fit. Maybe coming to church for the first time. What do I do? Where do I sit? How do I behave? When do I stand up? When do I sit down? It might be that you go to a party with people you don't really know and just feel really uncomfortable, a new work situation, and everything is kind of stretched and stressed, and that can feel a very insecure place to be. Do I fit? Do I belong? How do I... What is my identity here? And in this story we're looking at today, the Apostle Paul, uh, we're going to look at the identity of the Apostle Paul and see how the way in which he understands himself can help us to understand ourselves. And so let's begin by thinking about Paul the Jew. The commander speaks to him. Paul stood on the steps, Acts chapter 22, verse 1. He addresses the crowd and says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today." Paul addresses a crowd and describes them as brothers and fathers. Why is that? It's because Paul himself is a member of the Jewish people. And this is a Jewish crowd who are seeking to kill him and who he's now talking to. The Jewish people are where Paul finds his ethnic identity. This is his tribe. This is his family. There is an organic flesh and blood belonging to the Jewish people, to the people of Israel. And that sense of belonging that Paul had to the Jewish nation was probably stronger than any of us feel in a kind of an ethnic or a tribal sense. Probably none of us have that sense of belonging that Paul as a Jew in Jerusalem would have felt. And he would have had 
therefore an organic connection with this mob who were trying to kill him because they were Jews as well. They were all physically descended from Abraham. They're all the same family. They're all the same people. They're the same tribe. And Paul speaks to them in Aramaic, which was the local language of the time. He, he, he's a native. He belongs. Now, he wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Tarsus. But he says that he was raised in Jerusalem, probably when he was the age of 13, after he'd gone through the, that stage when a Jewish boy is recognized as a man. He'd gone to Jerusalem to study under this teacher called Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. And he was considered to be the most significant teacher of that era. So Paul was clearly a star student, a star pupil who'd gone to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel to learn how to be a Pharisee. So Paul absolutely has all the credentials. Later in in the Bible, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul puts it like this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. Paul was a Jew, but he was more than a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of this particular strict group, this very educated, uh, serious group, the Pharisees. And uh, Paul's sense of identity seems to be completely locked in. A super strong sense of self. Who am I? Where am I from? I'm a Jew. I'm a Pharisee. I'm from this town. I belong. This is who I am. These are my people. This is my place. But Paul wasn't only a Pharisee, not only a Jew. He was also a Roman. When the commander came to arrest him, he says to Paul, aren't you the Egyptian terrorists? Now, the story here is that a few years before this, this was about... AD 57 that Paul is in Jerusalem and in AD 54 an Egyptian false prophet had come to Jerusalem with a crowd of followers and tried to stage something of a revolt against the Romans and Felix the Roman governor of course had sent troops against him had killed a bunch of uh, of this guy's followers and imprisoned a bunch more but the Egyptian false prophet himself was never seen again he just disappeared into thin air And uh, this was somebody that both the Romans and the Jews unusually were united against. Both the the Jewish population of Jerusalem and the Roman occupiers of Jerusalem opposed this Egyptian terrorist. And so Paul turns up and this riot forms in the temple and naturally the commander thinks, who could have caused such a reaction? Maybe it's this Egyptian terrorist who's reappeared again. So that's what he says to Paul. Aren't you the Egyptian terrorist? And Paul says, no, I'm a Jew and I'm from Tarsus. Now, Tarsus was a city that's at the top right-hand corner of the Mediterranean, in that little corner in where our geography, uh, we think of Turkey and Syria meeting. And it was a city that was well known for its cultural and kind of intellectual life. It's a bit like if you're, you're from uh, uh, somebody from the, from the UK who said, said to them, aren't you the Egyptian terrorist? No, I'm from Bath. It's that kind of place. A kind of nice culture place. Oh, you're from Bath? That's a nice place to come from. It's a very cultured place. It's that, it was that kind of town. It had that kind of reputation. And that meant that Paul was a citizen of the Greek-speaking world. And so the commander speaks to him, and Paul responds in Greek, which surprises the commander because he thinks he's an, an Egyptian. But then as the story goes on, it becomes clear that Paul isn't simply somebody who was raised in Tarsus, not simply somebody who speaks Greek, but he's actually a Roman citizen. 
He addresses a crowd, and he tells them the story of his conversion, and it just makes them madder and madder. And we'll drop down to verse 22 of chapter 22, where it says this. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this, until he said, God has sent me to the Gentiles. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Paul has stood up a mob, there's a riot, gets arrested, speaks to the crowd, things go from bad to worse. The commander wants to investigate, find out why he is provoking such a negative reaction. And he flogs him because under Roman custom, if you wanted to extract the truth from somebody, you flogged them because it was believed that unless you flogged somebody, they wouldn't tell the truth. And this wasn't just a mild whipping. The Roman flogging was a scourging. This was the leather whip embedded with bits of bone and stone. It would completely rip somebody to pieces. It was a hideous instrument of torture. And that's what you did to slaves or foreigners who were accused of some crime. But you didn't scourge Romans. That was against the law. You didn't scourge a Roman citizen. And so Paul says, is it legal for you to scourge me, a Roman citizen? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Now, the commander wants to clarify because actually if you weren't a citizen and you claimed to be, that was a capital offense. You'd be executed. So the commander wants to make really sure. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Now, Paul was a citizen, not only a citizen, he was born a citizen, and that means that he was actually superior in kind of the social pecking order to the commander who hadn't been born a citizen and had to buy his citizenship. We don't know how Paul became, how his family became Romanized to this extent. Maybe his parents or grandparents had done some kind of special service to the Roman Empire and been awarded citizenship. But anyway, he was born a citizen, and that citizenship was valuable. It was valuable, so valuable that the Roman commander says, look, I've paid a lot of money so that I can become a citizen. And the money that the commander paid would have been not a just a kind of like when you try and if you come in as a, as a non-British resident and you gain citizenship here, you have to pay an administration charge. Now, in the Roman system, it would have been not like that. It would have been a bribe, that he'd have paid a big bribe to get the bureaucrats to put his name on the list that would have appeared before Caesar and then been approved by Caesar for him to become a citizen. And the legal rights of citizens were not to be taken lightly. That's why it was so valuable. To be a citizen was a precious thing. And think about people who try and get into America. Think about all the people that Donald Trump is trying to keep out with his wall. Why do people want to get into America? It's the promise of a better life. Why would you want to become an American citizen? 
because of the rights that gives you, because of the freedoms that gives you, because of, the, uh, of, of, of all that means, the legal status that you have, the protection. If you're an American citizen, you have the protection of the American state at your back. It's a valuable thing. And become a Roman citizen was also highly valuable. And Paul was born a Roman citizen. Now, his Romanness didn't compromise his Jewishness. Who is Paul? I'm a Jew. Brothers, fathers, I'm one of you. Who's Paul? I'm a Roman. You can't just go ahead and flog me. I belong to this culture too. But the third thing about Paul, the third identity about Paul, is that he is Paul the Christian. Paul is a Jew. He's a Pharisee by history, by culture, by ethnicity, by training. He's a Roman by birthright. But Paul has had an identity transformation. Let's just uh, go back a page and read about this. This is the story of Paul's conversion. It's actually told three times in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 26, as well as here in Acts chapter 22. And when the Bible tells the same story three times, that means it's really, really, really important. So it's worth us reading it again. Acts 22 verse 3. Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. I persecuted Christians to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now, when this happened, this encounter with Jesus, Paul didn't stop being Jewish. He didn't stop being a Pharisee. When he uh, stands up before the Jewish council in Acts 23, he says to them, I am, I am a Pharisee. And Paul didn't stop being a Roman when he came to faith in Christ. When the centurion, when the commander say to him, are you a Roman citizen? He says, yes, I am. But Paul now has an identity which is more defining than his Jewishness, more defining than his Romanness. It's his identity in Christ. And so let's just think about what the Christian identity means. When we come to faith in Christ, 
we bring our identity with us. And some things about us are undeniable. And to deny them would be to deny ourselves and would be to deny reality. Let me give you an example. The example of Rachel Dolzell. This is a story a few years ago in the States. Rachel Dolzell was president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People in Spokane and Washington. And she also instructed in Africana Studies at Eastern Washington University. And in June 2015, she reported race-related hate crimes. Rachel Dozell identifying as black. The trouble was that actually she was white. And when she reported these uh, race-related hate crimes as a black person, her parents stepped forward and said, actually, she's our daughter. She's not black. She's white. And uh, Rachel Dozell had made herself look as African-American as she could. She changed her hair and darkened her skin. And she genuinely seems in some way, psychologically, internally, to identify as African-American. She genuinely seems to believe that to be who she is in some way. But the biological reality, the undeniable reality, is, is that she is actually a white woman. And when her parents kind of outed her as not really being African-American but being white, it caused a huge furore, a huge scandal. She lost her position in the civil rights movement that she was president of. She lost her position teaching at the uh, university she was part of. And uh, many people were, especially many black people, were deeply offended that she should have claimed to have been the victim of race-related hate crimes when she wasn't black but she was white because the undeniable biological reality was that she was a white woman. No matter how she'd made herself look, no matter how she felt about herself internally, the reality was that she wasn't black, she was white. Now, when we come to Christ... We don't stop being black or white or Jewish or Roman or remain or leave or whatever it was we previously were. But in Christ Jesus, those things are no longer the most important thing about us. Because all who come to Christ, all who come to Christ are adopted into God's family. This is how Paul describes it in his letter to the Galatians, Galatians 3. He says this, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, the person who wrote this was the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who described himself as a Jew, the Apostle Paul who described himself as a Pharisee, the Apostle Paul who described himself as a Roman citizen. But this is the Apostle Paul who has taken on, who has clothed himself in Christ Jesus, and that gives him a new and a more, ident- more defining identity. When we come to Christ, the things which define our identities male, female, black, white, Roman, Jewish, leave, remain, whatever it might be, those things stay with us. But the point that Paul is making is that those things neither qualify you nor disqualify you from being adopted as a child of God. It makes no difference if you're a man or a woman. 
as to whether you can be accepted by God. It makes no difference whether you're black or white to be accepted by God. It makes no difference if you're Roman or Jewish to be accepted by God. It makes no difference if you're leave or remain to be accepted by God. Those things are not what qualify you and they don't disqualify you either. If you come to Christ, you take on this greater identity of being found in him. You're counted as a child of God. Now, if you are more like the Apostle Paul and you have a really strong sense of who you are, that actually is quite challenging. Because what the gospel says is, is there's, well, there's another identity which is going to supersede your sense of identity. That identity you state for yourself, maybe like Rachel Dolezal, this is who I am. There's a greater identity that you can be clothed in, that you need to be clothed in. And actually that's good news. And it's good news because it's not that God obliterates the you that you were. Think about it in the case of the Apostle Paul, that actually Paul became more complete in his identity than he had been before. Paul, who was Paul? He was a Jew. Very clear about that. But when he came to Christ, when he put on this new identity in Christ Jesus, all the promises that God had made to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, Paul now received in a fresh way because Christ is the one by whom, through whom, all the promises made to Abraham are being fulfilled and worked out and completed. And so when Paul came to Christ, it didn't obliterate his Jewish identity. Actually, it fulfilled it. What about Jew, uh, Paul the Pharisee? What were the Pharisees about? The Pharisees were concerned about living as righteously as they possibly could. They did all they could to avoid sin. They did everything they possibly could to live in a way that was righteous before God and always found there was another, there's always another hurdle to jump. There's always more perfection to obtain. When Paul came to Christ, when he was clothed in Christ, he was clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That meant that when God looks at Paul, when God looks at us, when we come to Christ, he sees not our sinfulness, not our imperfection, but he sees the perfections of Jesus Paul, the Pharisee, found more righteousness in Christ than he'd ever known before with all his legalistic Pharisaism. And what about Paul, the Roman? Well, being a Roman citizen was a huge privilege. It gave you all kinds of protections, all kinds of rights, all kinds of legitimacy. But when Paul clothed himself in Christ, he was now counted not just as a citizen of Rome, but as a citizen of the kingdom of God with all the rights and privileges and protections that brings. This was good news for Paul. If you've got a strong sense of identity, this is who I am, put on Christ and find something which is even more fulfilling, even better. But what about those who your issue is not an overdeveloped sense of identity? Maybe your issue is more a confused sense of identity, a sense of, I'm not really sure who I am. I'm not really sure where I fit. I'm not really sure where I belong. Well, what we read in this story is good news for you too because you come to Christ and you come home. If you've never known a sense of tribe, if you've never really known a sense of family, you come to Jesus and you find that now you're adopted as a child of God and that means that you have all the rights of a son in the house. You can go what you, where you like and open a fridge and eat what you like because it all belongs to you. You are now counted as a member of the family. You belong. You're God's child. 
If you have gone through life feeling that you don't quite belong, you don't quite fit, you come to Jesus, you clothe yourselves in him, and you find complete acceptance and welcome. It's not conditional. It's not conditional on how you've behaved today, how you felt today. That thing that Dick was sharing just as we finished our worship, it's not conditional on how well you performed today. No, it's all about Christ Jesus and being clothed in him. Feel you don't fit? Come to Christ. He'll embrace you and call you his own. This is good news. Oliver O'Donovan, who was an Oxford professor, says this. Just think about this. If Christianity has a saving message to speak to human beings, it must surely be, you may be free from the constraints of your identities. The thing about our identities, our identity politics, our identity confusion, and our, I'm a Jew, I'm a Roman, I'm a whatever, is that it constrains us, it puts us in a box, it makes us, we're this and they're that. And when we come to Christ, we're freed from those constraints, we're brought into this amazing family of God, the household of God, where God gathers people who are Jewish and who are Roman. That's impossible. That shouldn't happen. He gathers people who are Pharisees and people who had no knowledge of God. He gathers people from the UK and from America. He gathers white people and black people. He gathers gay people and straight people. He gathers leavers and remainers. And he gathers us together and gives us all a new identity in him that we might know his righteousness, that we might know what it is to be children of God. We're freed from the constraints of our human identities. And so if you are a Christian, if you've been baptized, if you've clothed yourself with Christ, remember who you are. The defining thing about you is not how functional or dysfunctional your biological family is. It's not what education you had. It's not what color skin you carry. The thing that defines you over and above everything else, above all that is who you are in Christ Jesus. Those other things aren't obliterated. They're not insignificant. They're not unimportant. But you're clothed in Christ. You're freed from the constraints of those things. That's good news. David Bennett, who is a uh, man who was a gay activist and then came to faith in Christ, written a very helpful book called A War of Love. So I, uh, uh, recommended it a couple of weeks back in our weekly email. I'd really encourage you to read it, especially if you've got gay friends, gay family, or if you're same-sex attracted yourself. It's just so helpful, his experience, his story. He says this, When Christians receive Christ, we repent of what is sinful, but we don't renounce our individual humanity, which is shaped by God and by our experience in this fallen world and this fallen body. As a gay, celibate Christian, I recognize that Christ is my ultimate identity. Gay and celibate come second. My identity is first and foremost in Christ. But those other two descriptors tell the redemptive story of God's grace in my life. I was told for so long that my sexual desires were what defined my humanity. But as a Christian, I learned that giving ourselves to God completely and trusting him with our same-sex desires is precious in his eyes. It helps us see that he is our greatest treasure and what we are really longing for. The goal of our lives isn't to fulfill our cultural expectations and worship our own desires, but to follow Jesus and worship God. I have given up a portion of myself, but in return, I found my whole humanity. 
Coming to Christ means finding out who you really are. It means finding out what you were really made for. No other identity inherited or claimed can give you what you most need. What we human beings most need. Where are we going to find our real sense of identity? Where are we going to find out who we really are, what we were really made for, is in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul didn't deny being a Jew. He didn't deny being a Pharisee. He didn't deny being a Roman citizen. But what he laid hold of was who he was in Christ. That became the defining thing for him. That became, became his identity. So let's just finish by thinking about how this means that identity is for witness. If you're a Christian, you have a story to tell about how you came to faith in Christ. And it's probably not as dramatic as the Apostle Paul's. The Apostle Paul, who was suddenly struck by this lightning bolt on the road to Damascus. But the call that God gives to each one of us, actually the call to every man and woman in the world, is the same. It's what Ananias said to Paul as Paul came into Damascus, blinded and confused. Ananias came to him and said, Paul, be baptized, wash your sins away, call on the name of Jesus. And that's what all of us need to do. It's what most of us in this room have done. If you haven't yet, that's a call to you as well. Call on the name of Jesus, get baptized, wash your sins away, put on Christ, find this new identity in him. And when that happens, you become a witness to what has happened. That witness happens at the moment of baptism when publicly you get baptized and declare and demonstrate what Christ has done for you and what he means for you. But we're called as witnesses every day of our lives. We're called to display this identity we have. Who are you? I'm in Christ. I'm clothed in Christ. I'm a child of God. And so when we get to the, the end of the story we're looking at today, the end of, well, halfway through Acts chapter 23, after Paul has appeared before the Jewish council and tried to argue his case, it says, verse 11 of Acts 23, The Lord stood near Paul and said to him, Take courage, as you have testified me about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul, the Jew, the Pharisee, the Christian had testified about Jesus in Jerusalem. Now Paul, the Roman citizen, the Christian, is going to be taken to Rome and he'll testify about Jesus there. If you're a Christian, wherever you are, your context, your culture, you're called to testify to Jesus. We're called as witnesses to witness the fact that God has taken hold of us, to witness the fact that we've put on Christ, we're clothed now in his righteousness, to witness the fact that we're now declared to be children of God, that we're welcomed and accepted in the house of God, to witness the fact that our identity is secure because our identity is found in Christ and he is unshakable, that we're not the victims of our family histories and we're not people who are simply trying to lay hold of a particular identity to fit into a certain niche in society. No, we're clothed in Christ and in him are declared as God's children. And so like Paul, let's take courage and witness who we are because of who he is. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and uh, let's come and worship him.
give praise to Jesus. Let me pray as I do that. As I pray now and then as we come and take bread and wine in a moment, I'd really like us to personally respond to this. Think, think about this. Where do I need to respond, Jesus? It might be that you need to respond to Jesus for the first time. For those of us who already know Christ, where is it we need to respond? What, what, is, our, what is our witness like at the moment? Are we witnessing to who we are? It might be that you struggle with a sense of where do I fit, where do I belong, and that what God wants to speak to you today is a fresh confidence that you You do fit, you do belong. Why? Because you belong to Christ. That gives you such security of identity. It might be that you need to be humbled, that maybe you put too much identity in the other things that define you. And God says, yeah, those can be important, but actually the most important thing is you know who you are in me. And so let's let's respond and allow God to work in our hearts. Lord, I pray for us here at Gateway Church that we would be courageous and that we would testify to you Lord, as you stood next to Paul and as he was in a threatening situation, threatened by his own people, threatened by the Jews and the Romans, all of whom actually should have been on his side as a Jew and as a Roman himself, as he was in that threatening place, you spoke to him and said, take courage, testify to me. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who take hold of courage as well. And we would be unashamed to declare who we really are. I pray that we wouldn't hide behind our other identities, but we would boldly stand in who we are in you, clothed in Christ. I pray it would be evident about about us, King Jesus, as evident as the physical clothes we're wearing, that we're clothed in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I do pray for uh, my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray for those who put too much hope, too much store in the identity markers the world has given. Lord, I pray that there'd be a fresh... Uh, grasping what it means to be found in Christ and how much more fulfilling and complete and glorious that is. Lord, I pray especially for those who struggle the other way with a sense of where do I fit, where do I belong, who am I? I pray, Lord, there'd be a a sense of confidence that would come to anyone who feels like that that this morning. There'd be a confidence that comes because eyes are open. Lord, you opened Paul's eyes as he was blinded on the Damascus Road as Ananias prayed for him. He suddenly saw again. He saw physically and he saw spiritually. And I pray for anybody here whose eyes are kind of spiritually clouded. They they don't see who they are because they're not really seeing who you are as much as they need to. Lord, I pray that as we worship now, as we take the bread and the wine, you'd open eyes again so we'd have a confidence in who we are because we have a confidence in you who clothes us and calls us your own. Lord, thank you for our citizenship, that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. Lord, thank you for our ancestry, that we're children of God. Thank you for our identity, that we belong to you. We're clothed in your righteousness. I pray we'd know these things, we'd be clear on them, and we'd testify them by your grace, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's respond as we uh, sing our next song. Let's come and take the bread and the wine. Let's come to Jesus. And if you need God to work in you, come in faith. Let's all come in faith as we take the bread and the wine and expect Christ to minister to us as we do that.